0: Bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American.
1: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Dragu. As Americans, we have so much to be grateful for. One of those things is the country that we live in. It's been a truly blessed nation. This has been the case since the beginning. That's why it's been the number one destination for immigrants seeking a better life. This Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about what has made America so exceptional. So join me for this discussion is the former CEO of the John Birch Society, Art Thompson. And he's also an author of or the author of the book called American Exceptionalism and the executive senior editor of the New American, Steve Bonta. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. So Art, uh, what pops into your head first when I say, what is the most unique thing about America? First
2: and foremost is we're the only country in the world that's been founded on the idea that God is supreme. And it comes before government or anything else. Uh, no other country has is, is established their system of laws or anything else based on God. We did. And that is the first thing. Okay. The other thing is that it is a government of the bottom up. In other words, it's the people who run the government. It's not from the top down. And uh, by design, is, anyway, uh, by, yeah, by design. Now, a lot of that's changing over yeah. the years, well, obviously.
1: Unfortunately, Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, but those are the two things that are, that are most prominent. And there are other exceptions as well. No, what, other.
1: what, what do you think that did as far as acknowledging that, for instance, we get our rights from God and not government? You're saying mm-hmm. that was new, mm-hmm. uh, what did that do? How did that set the set the pace or uh, set us on a on a on a trajectory where how we made the laws and how we interacted as a people with our government and how the government how much power or it did or didn't have?
2: Well, let's go back to the real basics of of belief in God. Uh, we got the Ten Commandments from Him, didn't we? Yeah. If you look at it, you'll find that the Bill of Rights is really basically codifying. The Ten Commandments in government, so that set us apart right away. We we built all our complete system on that concept. The bill of, The Bill of Rights is the Ten Commandments codified, mm. and the belief of uh, in God's laws yeah. in government.
1: Well, how would the First Amendment be? Where, where how does that align with the? Well, the... a
2: lot. You can't murder anybody, can you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Steve? Well, I think that, you know, there have been many, particularly in, you know, Western Christian civilization, the rule until recently, the rule and not the exception was that there was an element in the state that was explicitly Christian, religious, Mm -hmm. but it was also sectarian. And so if the the established church was Catholic, that meant that that was the official version of Christianity that was supported. If if it was the Dutch Reformed Church, as was the case in um, the United Provinces for a while, then that was it, the Anglican Church in England, and so forth and so on. So the idea of having a government founded on Christian principles is not entirely new. But what is new is this idea that that paramount in the eyes of God is freedom of the conscience to worship according to the dictates of one's own heart. And I think that this probably came about as with so many things in our unique American heritage because of the unique circumstances that obtained in the early American period. And by that I mean that you had all, I mean by no means were all of the first American immigrants motivated. By, by, by religion. That's an oversimplification. By religious freedom? Sure. I mean, the, you know, a lot of the people who went to, you know, the Sir Walter Raleigh and people like this that, that went to, to, to make, make money on the tobacco plantations and this kind of thing were- Entrepreneurs you know. too, yeah. Sure. Huh? But, 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 but to the extent that there was this, this religious motivator in, in, in the peopling of some, particularly the Northeastern, mm. the, the New England area, it was done by different religious groups each of whose first impulse when they arrived was to say, okay, this is our community, we're going to set up our laws based on our religious beliefs, and if you can't abide them, we're going to expel you. So that, that it really didn't differ dramatically from what they'd experienced in the old world, except that now they were the ones, yeah. that, whether they're the pilgrims or the Puritans, or several different factions of Puritans, uh, the Quakers perhaps, and, and, and other groups, even the Catholics, there were some Catholic colonies, and, 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 and this kind of thing. And the idea was, yeah, so, so, so we're gonna come here, and we're gonna, you know, we were the minority over there, but by golly here, we're gonna be the ones that are gonna make the rules. But with all these disparate groups being forced eventually to band together in a common cause, the notion arose um, that, well, maybe the most important thing is that we all continue to enjoy this right to worship as we see plea. And you know, with the assumption that, that we have, a, you know, a yeah. shared set of values, Art mentioned the 10 Commandments, certainly, but beyond that, how we prepare, you know, the communion or the sacrament or the mass or whatever one calls it. That's up to you. That's how you those, want it. Those types of things then became less important.
1: Isn't it interesting, though, that the founding fathers and, and the people who essentially set up the founding government or the, the first government... They weren't all of the same religion either, were they? And some of them, for instance, apparently Jefferson—he did something weird, like make up his own Bible. I think a lot of people would call that pretty heretical. <laughs> right? What do you think? Like, I. So, What,
2: what is that all about? Well, actually, uh, you know, it gets back to what uh, Steve was just talking about. But the the, the thing is that uh, if you study the basic documents. Mm -hmm. of the united states particularly the first one the declaration of independence it goes so far as to say that in the first paragraph it's subtle but if you read it until you understand it completely it says that it is uh you are compelled by god to revolt against tyranny it is an order from god So, but you don't get taught that in schools anymore.
1: That they thought that God was ordering them to, sure. to essentially declare freedom.
2: Well, you know, uh, but belief in God is one of the most essential liberties there is. Yeah. Because anybody who's a totalitarian wants the state to rule and, and they don't want God to rule because they have to obey God, too. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at the Ten Commandments, for instance, and I keep going back to that, it isn't just aimed at the individual. It's aimed at any group, even if it calls itself a government. Government can't kill, government can't steal, government can't lie, government can't covet, on and on and on and on. And, and, And that's the thing that a lot of people don't get today. They don't understand that. Mm -hmm. and as christians or jews or or whatever uh we are compelled to stand up for liberty
1: yes yeah and i i I would think it makes a world of difference when and this is something i would i would argue i don't know what the what the portion what the segment how much what percentage of people have forgotten this but i bet you there's a lot of people in the united states who think that the government is the one that gives you your rights your liberties and that's so sad because like you said you could read the uh, the declaration of independence especially and it's right there that the government is not where we get our rights from we get them from god uh is there anything close to 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 this system anywhere else steve do you know
3: well you know since the foundation of the there were before the united states came along some reasonably successful republics in europe the united provinces which later became the netherlands springs to mind obviously Switzerland, the Swiss mm-hmm. Confederation, some of the Italian republics, in particular the Republic of Venice, although by the time of the American founding, Venice had pretty much run its course, had had its heyday, and was mm-hmm. conquered by Napoleon oh. shortly thereafter. Yeah, so there were some, and in point of fact, I mean, a lot of people will say, if they think about the founders at all, oh, they were so radical, and they were this, and they were the, because, of course, the modern-day radicals want to, align themselves with the American founders. The truth is that they really weren't radical in many ways. Much of what was done you know, in the Constitution, and the Articles of Confederation, the original shape of, of the American government had been done before, right? But in the aggregate, you know, the fact that we, but there were some differences. So for one thing, our, our form of republic did not have an aristocratic element, okay? That was one thing. Our written Constitution, while not the first, technically speaking, was certainly the first of any substance and has been emulated, however imperfectly, by many countries
1: since. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, we got to we're going to take a quick break, but we got so much to discuss, including uh, our our gun rights and our local police, our bicameral system. So we're going to be right back. And after this, we're going to discuss all those things. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans.
2: We are the John Birch Society.
1: Welcome back, folks. So, Steve, you wanted to add um, another point to as far as are there any other countries that are similar to what we've done here?
3: Yeah, so just as there were certain countries like the United Provinces, like the Italian Republics, like the Swiss, like the Roman Republic anciently, Mm -hmm. even some of the Greek you know, democratic republics that the founders drew on, so subsequent to the American founding, there have been many, many attempts to replicate our success elsewhere, starting in Mexico, of all places. Uh, The Mexican Constitution, eventually, that was promulgated after Mexico threw off the Spanish yoke in the 1820s, was consciously modeled after our own, which is why the technical name in Mexico is the United States of Mexico. Mexico is a federal country made up of, of states. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Argentina is another major example, more recently Brazil. There are another, a number of countries that have tried to, to copy, and even countries that have not adopted the so-called federal scheme that we had, have, still have adopted written uh, the very fact that they have the written constitutions today are almost universal, is a, is, I think testifies to the, wit, the, 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 the wisdom of the American founders in framing this document as a fundamental law that was more or less inviolable, that would hold rulers as well as ruled to account.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a big deal. I don't, I don't remember who the authors are, but I've, it's like a two-part history book. And some of the way that it, it, it talks about what happened in 1776 and afterwards, apparently the world was just fully and ins, really inspired by what American, the Americans managed to do. And obviously it has, res, has resonated ever since.
2: Well, they were hungry for freedom. I mean, let's face it, when the United States started, 75% of the, of the world was in slavery of mm. some sort or another. And when you, the, the, you don't hear the phrase much anymore, but when, when the men stood on the Lexington Green and stood up to the Redcoats, and, and that fire that started the, the battle there, it was referred to as the shot, shot heard, heard around, around the, the world. world. Yep. because that was the, the the point where liberty started to reach out, and uh, and the founders of the of our country knew that they were starting a new system, whereby the whole world would be affected eventually. Do you Not, think
1: they knew how influential it would be? Was I there think anything they did
2: indicating? Because these these were smart men, and they, when Samuel Adams started the committees of correspondence. He mentioned the fact that they were. this was going to be a worldwide thing eventually. Wow. So uh, not that we would force it on the world or anything else, but we would set the example. Yeah, it would
1: inspire. Just like
2: Steve was just talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk
1: about some of those other factors. I mean, this is something that you talk about quite often. You could probably do it in your sleep. But another thing we bring up is police, local police. It may not seem like something that should fit into this conversation or that would fit into this conversation but our system of police is really crucial to maintaining liberty, is it not?
2: It is. And it is a system of local police that no other country has. Now, they may have a hybrid mm. of local offices and, and somewhat of an independent uh, attitude, but they are controlled and regulated by the federal or national government. Yeah. Almost all, all the countries have some sort of form of national police. Yeah. and uh, and, and we don't. Now, it's becoming one because of more and more regulations and money put into local police departments from outside and so on and so forth from the federal government. But the whole thing is it's another aspect of that bottom-up form of government that we have. We have local uh, uh, city councils. We have county commissioners. We have state governments and so on and so forth. And it's the same way with the
1: police. It's such an awesome system because it's like we look around what's happening. And one of the things I start thinking about sometimes is we've moved around a bit here and there. But there's always this this, uh, relief sometimes when you think it's like, well, this place is getting a little suffocating. You know, they got a little too many rules or whatever. It's like I'll go somewhere else in America where... You know, it's maybe ruled by or not ruled, but it's, it's governed, it's led by sane people. And I would say even to today, you can still do that to some degree. Some municipalities are a little crazier than others, but it's, it's wonderful the idea that you can go somewhere else and have more liberty just in the town that you live. Well, California
2: is finding that out, aren't they? A lot of people, are. they've lost two congressional districts because people are moving out, going somewhere else where it's an easier life. Uh, taxes or onerous laws and that sort of thing. One of the things that I'd like to bring up relative to the local police that rarely ever mm. gets out there mm-hmm. and that is that if you have a complaint uh, as a citizen against something that's wrong in the police department you have 11 areas to go to to complain about it and get it rectified. And it's never talked about in the media or anywhere else. You can go to the chief of police, you can go to internal affairs, you can go to the uh, city attorney, you can go to the uh, state attorney, you can go to the county attorney, you can go to the legislature, you can go to the governor, on and on and on. The sheriff, which is the real law enforcement officer in a county, uh, in almost every county the highest law enforcement officer is a sheriff.
1: And you don't have to go to Washington, D.C., huh? No. In fact,
2: you're going to be in trouble if you try to. And it's awful expensive and they ignore you anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Steve, you've lived abroad. How different is our police system to where you've been? Well, have you? Did you notice the difference when you were, for instance, in China? Oh, sure. In in China. um, And I've been in Chinese police stations.
3: I've been interrogated in Chinese police stations. Wow. Um, Was it
1: just because you're an American?
3: No, I yeah. Okay. You don't sort have of. To tell, yeah. it, 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 the thing is, in in, in in many in many
1: countries, the law. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that.
3: <laughs> well, in many in many countries, the law is whatever the local official deems it to be at right. any given time. So it's and 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 China is certainly a pretty good example. Of this yeah, that's word. how
1: dictatorships work, on Right. It's fairly arbitrary. Corrupt societies.
3: Well, another issue, of course, is is the corruption. Not, this is not true of all countries. I mean, you know, I had again country I visited a couple weeks ago in South America we we interacted with the police several times and never had any trouble it depends where you go Mm -hmm. but many countries you know Mexico Peru certainly China most of sub-saharan Africa the Middle East um, India I spent a lot of time in India Um, you generally involve the police only as a last recourse Wow
1: yeah That that, that makes sense well look at Mexico
2: you know, the the police power there is is tremendous. Uh, the only thing that opposes it is a cartel. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, the, the, only the cartels are more powerful. But huh? I
2: went into Mexico once just to, to go in, in one of those day markets like they have, you know, and get cheap bank blankets and stuff like that. And medicine.
3: <laughs> and we're not going to talk about that. Either. Yeah. But
2: I got caught on the other side of the border. The border shut down due to a bomb scare on the Mexican side. Oh wow! So they said it would be hours before I could get back. So I drove across Mexico, heading towards San Diego. I went through two roadblocks with M60 machine guns by the police, staring mm. at me in, in 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 the in the uh, roadway. Wow! And a couple of other areas that they wanted. They wanted money before I was so allowed to continue on the highway.
1: Oh yeah, that get old-fashioned the kind of bribing.
2: That, even right next door, that's the kind of thing we have. And in Canada, it's even worse. In Canada, when I was a kid, I worked for a truck outfit that went into Canada a lot, mm-hmm. and and uh, you could tell it was a it was the atmosphere immediately that it was more police power and more owners. Oh,
1: I got to tell the story. We were in Canada. I think it was Medicine Hat. We were getting. Coffee of all places, and and so we're driving off uh, after we got coffee at uh, a certain big chain coffee place, which I will not name. And I took off, and the coffee spilled all over my wife. And so I stop, and she's screaming because I think it, it was hot, and she was like, ah you know, she got out, she's like, oh my gosh, or whatever. So I go in, I, you know, we park, we go in, I go in and I order c- c- coffee for her again and one for me. And then I go to the bathroom and whatever. And so I get my coffee and I walk out and I'm looking at it. and I'm just kind of like, I open the door and there in the entrance is an entire SWAT team. This is Medicine Hat Canada, an entire SWAT team. And I, the officer says, sir, were you a part of this conflict? I'm like. I'm just getting coffee, man. (laughs) What had happened is someone had called the police on us because I guess they thought that maybe I beat my wife or something. And, you know, because she was she was overreacting a little bit. I guess, you know, coffee's hot. But the fact that an entire SWAT team was assembled and sent to Starbucks to take care of us was crazy and we continue to tell this story because I don't, I don't think that would have ever happened. First of all, I would think an American would be like, ma'am, are you okay? But they didn't do any, any of that. They were just like, oh, call the police. And the police show up with a SWAT team and maybe it's because you know that we had US plates, we had Montana plates and whatnot. So anyway, we're gonna come right back and we're gonna talk about gun rights. In
0: 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the US. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists, is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the US be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of Control Immigration Invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at the slash out of control.
1: Welcome back, folks. So I wanted to tell you guys about our latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves, we cannot be free. This Polish Collector's Edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com shop, Or you can call our office at 800-727-8783, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 Central Time. So speaking of self-reliance, guys, one of the things that we cover in here is, like I said, Second Amendment, uh, firearm self-reliance. And that's something that's also unique to the American governing system, isn't it, Art?
2: Yeah, actually it is. If you look at the Bill of Rights, it's encoded in there, isn't it? In it sure the Second has. Amendment. And you know that no other Bill of Rights around the world has that in it? we're the only one that does is that are you sure
3: that's true
1: absolutely Steve do you think that's true
3: (laughs) only in a limited sense the English Bill of Rights does have a the right for all the right to for Protestants to keep and bear arms (laughs) is that real? that was that was loosely sure that was that was the loose basis for our own second amendment but of course we took out the religion the 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 sectarian angle oh wow so that's probably the closest you have to that there are other countries um, that have a reputation for having firearms culture obviously like Swiss the Swiss are, the Swiss but that is you know that, that's a different different thing and
1: you Art's know. got a, a take on the Swiss apparently he as he told me I think earlier it's not like we think it because we hear about the Swiss and apparently like they're the most armed is it per capita the most yeah, armed it's, population it's a law that
2: everybody from 18 to 50 I think it is has to be armed. With a, uh, a semi-automatic uh, weapon but those are owned by the state in other words the government owns them and they go out and train with them and that sort of thing they just don't issue it to them and they put them in the closet and there they are mm-hmm. but uh but one of the things that that is helpful in that regard there aren't very many home invasions
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh I think a lot of people can should be able to. Look. Now we're seeing a resurgence too of an interest in the Second Amendment. A couple of weeks ago, or whatnot, we reported on. Especially Jews. Jews are go figure. They're they're starting to arm up a little bit more. They saw what happened in Israel, and here in America, they're 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 be they're getting armed. The, the uh, shop owners, as far as gun range owners and, and gun store owners, they're saying they see nothing. They're seeing a lot of Jews come in. And army knowing that they're in danger.
2: On that point, uh, as an aside, it's a little different from our discussion here, but all of this racism business, uh, anti-Semitism and all that, if you l- look at it and, and dig into it, it's all run by the communists on both sides, for and against racism, for and against anti-Semitism, for and against blacks, et mm. cetera, et cetera and and they control both sides and they get people arguing with one another and and they try to disrupt society is really what they're trying to do. Yeah. And that's what's going on right now.
1: Well, it's uh it's it's terrible that is and and uh, is that kind of like the pincer? You think that's kind of like the the pincer method?
2: Yeah, but like we were discussing off camera before the whole idea of marxism is to change society. It's yeah. not it's not this uh, revolutionary thing that you think of. Mm -hmm. and and so they use any means to do that and one of the ways they do that is through racial divide and uh, and so they can even uh, accuse the enemies of communism of racism
1: yeah you know well so let's go back to the Second Amendment Um, I, we were doing a shoot somewhere in town and the, the, the person. Now, wait a who,
2: minute. Let's clarify that. What do you mean? With a
1: camera? Yeah. 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 That's <laughs> it. Yeah. We were, we were doing a segment. Um, and we were talking to a business owner and he was talking about how a German company had reached out and was thinking about interviewing him. And one of the things they asked him is like, Oh, do you have a concealed carry, uh, employees? And uh, well, he was like, yes. And he's like, well, if, if we were to come and interview, like, would they be uh, would they have their guns on them? He's like, well, probably, yeah. And uh, so that that seemed they were very concerned about that, and it seems to. I haven't traveled a whole lot out of the United States uh, as, as a as an adult, but it seems like outside of here, they have this uh, attitude that, that people who are with guns are likely or more likely to start shooting people willy nilly. They're not. Is that is that your been your experience, Steve? Oh yeah, pretty. When, when you get outside, they <laughs> think w- Western anyone Western with countries. a gun just gonna go
3: off and shoot, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean there are some countries. Uh, until fairly recently, Canada had a pretty robust gun culture, which the dictator Trudeau has pretty much managed to stamp out. Mm-hmm. Um, Argentina has a very, very robust firearms uh, ownership. Even to this day, I was there last year, and they have these big gun stores. Uh, You write in Buenos Aires, you can buy things like AR-15s and so forth. Now you do need to get some kind of a, apparently it's pretty much pro forma, but it's some sort of a quick psych examination, but it's not difficult for Argentines to get most of the same guns that that we have. Uh, So there are some countries that try. Uh, that you know, I understand but Thailand used to be that way, and in, in the Philippines to some degree in Asia. Asia, not generally, there's not a lot in a, in the Asian cultures, including the relatively free countries like uh, Taiwan, Japan, and South Korea. There's just this long tradition of what arms enthusiasts like to call, um, you know, hoplophobia, fear of weapons. And uh, the idea that weapons, be they guns, swords, knives, et cetera, are are properly only, you know, should pertain to officers of the state. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, know it's pretty pretty unusual.
1: I, I find that so interesting because the people who they want or they think should have firearms, that being the police or police forces, those people, that segment of, of, of government and the population has the worst track record when it comes to oppressing. That historically has been the, uh, the element by which people have been oppressed. And I find it very interesting because Europeans, my understanding, is the same way. They, they think that only the professionals should have firearms But again, Europe has a long history of tyranny, and if you look at how that has been perpetrated, it has been with a gun in the hands of the police. So you would think that they, out of all people, would be like, oh, we should have guns, you know, we should be empowered to that, because this is the segment, this is the element that has been, that has tyrannized, that has uh, terrorized people for thousands of years. So I don't, there seems to be an intellectual intellectual disconnect there. What do you think, Steve? Well, I
3: think it, it serves to remind people that the, the arch-communist of all communists, sort of the archetypal communist, or Mao Zedong, the mm. most successful yeah. genocide what's, in history. Yeah, what's the saying? All power comes out of the mouth of a gun. And Mao wasn't particularly bright, but he did have a certain feral cunning about him and in particular understood very well the machinery of power, as he demonstrated throughout his, his long and evil life.
1: Was he a thug like the rest of them? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. You know, Stalin, and,
3: uh, Lenin. Oh, yeah, he was a thug's thug. I mean, he, he, he was the chief thug in terms of, I mean, his body count was the greatest of, of any. Uh, at least 60 you know, any, million, right? Well, people argue over that. It could be as much as 100 million or more. And, uh, you know, and that was all achieved by, by guns at, at, at the end of the day. You know, that was, that was how it worked. It's interesting if
2: you look at world history that it seems as the guys that caught, kill the most come out of China. If you look in recent at, history, yep, that's yep.
3: certainly true and be, before that it was Central Asia. Central Asia had a good run, the Mongol, you know Genghis well, Khan and Tamerlane yeah, Tamar, and that crowd,
1: Yeah. Tamar, yeah. yeah. Oh, so. Is it what what where does Eastern Europe uh fit in there cuz they have a pretty good history of, of they have a pretty high body count too, you know, especially yeah, the, a the, lot of
2: that was imported from the east. Yeah. More than it was intrinsic to to East, what we would call Eastern Europe.
1: Yeah. So all the more reason to protect our Second Amendments, and and I think this is one of the few topics. This is one of the few issues that we've been winning on. I would, I mean. Good point. It's gun ownership uh, only continues to skyrocket, starting especially in 2020, but even before that. I think the the gun lobby, or if that's what you want to call it, or just the grassroots, the gun grassroots people, they've done a good job of messaging. And it's hard to argue, I think. I think that's one of those things that's easy to get on board. It's like, who doesn't want that kind of power? I I, say, I went out with shooting with my, my stepdaughter once, years and years ago, and she was kind of typical in the sense that she was afraid because of everything she's heard. She's never handled a gun. Well, I took her shooting, it, you know, I, I had a few options for her, started on the lighter caliber and moved up. And the moment she started shooting, her face just lit up, and she's like, "Whoa!" She liked the power. But then, she also, she noticed at the end there that the guns didn't get up and start shooting on their own, and nobody died. And it was amazing, <laughs> you know. And I think that that's what people need sometimes. They just need someone to take them out shooting, need them to teach them some basic, some basic uh, safety, and then you can see them change. We're gonna be right back. Self-reliance was a cornerstone used by our founders to build this great nation. It's important for us to stay independent of the woke structures in today's world. Get a copy of our latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance. Learn about the necessity of self-reliance for a free people and basic tips on how to get there. Never give up hope. Welcome back, folks. So- Steve, what do you think is another unique element of the American governing system? Well, if you if you talk to political scientists, they will typically say that
3: the one true innovation of the founders, which we mentioned in an earlier segment already, is was federalism. This idea that you could extend the republican a republican scheme of government, by which we mean a government that represents the people without being overly democratic, that has a certain stability, which a a, a pure democracy does not have. You could extend that over a large territory by implementing a scheme of federalism. And and you've sort of alluded to it philosophically, this idea of, of the bottom up. The federal government, which was invented more or less by accident, as a result of an irreconcilable disagreement between the two factions in the Constitutional Convention as to how to deal with the small states and the large states, their representation in Congress, and ensure that the former were not bullied by the latter. Mm-hmm. And so they came up with this idea of you know having the Senate, all states, large and small, having two senators. And then that kind of eventually developed into an idea originally opposed by Madison, among others, that the, the, the concept is that we're, we're going to create a republic of republics, or as Madison calls it repeatedly in the Federalist Papers, a compound republic, okay, which we've since come to know as federalism, it turns out to be a very efficient scheme. Other countries I mentioned earlier, like Mexico and Argentina and Brazil, ha- and even Nigeria in Africa, have adopted the fe- fe- federalist, mm-hmm. a federal approach. India to some extent is federal, even Russia has a federal element. The only really large country in the world that doesn't have federalism is China at this mm-hmm. point, but the idea is that, that in this way you could extend the blessings of, of, of a good sound republican form of government over more than just a city state, as that was the rule of the early republics, you know, even ancient Rome, I mean, everyone knows when Rome was a republic, it was small, and the larger it got, the, the greater its imperial ambitions were to ev- eventually, of course, the, the, the government was transformed into more of a, a, an autocratic empire. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it was a, widely assumed. And many of the anti-federalists argued at the time that you really can't have a successful republic over more than a small territory. Because, you know, look at all these city-states, you know, like, uh, um, you know, Florence and obviously uh, Venice and so forth, that republics. But how many large republics can you name that didn't turn into empires very quickly or didn't fall apart, yeah. you know, fragment? And so the, the, the solution was that you say, well, the, well, most to the extent that government has power at all, most of it will reside with the states. And the federal government will be understood to be not the master, but the servant of the states, not the creator, but the created. Hence the word federalism, which comes from the Latin foidus or contract, meaning contract among the states to delegate a certain amount of power that like like the power to treat with foreign countries and this this sort of thing that would be better exercised by some sort of a national authority. Mm. But that national authority would not be in any wit
1: superior. To the states. Is that, I mean, and that's emphasized in the name, right? The United States of right. America, right? They emphasize the, the states, not America.
2: Correct. In fact, I think it's the first kind time that any country has been called by its system of government.
1: Yeah, good point. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it seems like that's another thing. Well, the United S- Provinces have, that became the Netherlands, maybe, oh, as well. Oh, maybe, but, yeah. Yeah. And sadly, it seems that that's another thing that Americans today have forgotten or have never known because what do you, what do you think is like if you were to talk to random people on, on the streets somewhere where you have maybe a, a good mixture, how many of them do you think would know that the states are intended to be, to have, to, to be sovereign or more powerful than the federal government? R- virtually none of them. because you from, think so? Particularly post,
3: in the post-Civil War period the the understanding the popular understanding that people have reinforced by generations now of precedent is that the federal government is the master yeah. the president who sits at the apex of the pyramid is the world's most powerful person yes we hear that he a has his beck and call the might of the u.s military and all the rest of it are
2: even even if you take a look at the term state what does state mean today in the minds of most people it means a fragment of the federal government but the, but the state. state means a nation, an yeah. independent entity. But it's flipped since the Civil War.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's terrible. Let's talk about private property. You, every time I get you on here, you want to talk about private property. Is it that important, Art?
2: Yes, it is. <laughs> and I even wrote a book on it, but I also talked about it in this book, American Exceptionalism. And I quote the founders uh, like Adams and Madison and so forth. Uh, they were adamant that the private property uh, was, was as good as the word of God uh, and that governments were formed to protect private property, in the words of Madison. Mm-hmm. And, and it was something that was very unique to the United States. And the reason it was unique was because we had an open territory, basically, and people could, could have property and gain property, whereas in Europe, which at the founding of our country, where most people came from, it was rare that people owned property. It was in the hands of the state, the king, or a, a family which owned it forever.
1: Were they lead, leasing, like the poor people? Did they lease property that they could, they would work, of the nobles and things like that? Is that how it worked?
2: Where, here or there?
1: Well, in Europe.
2: Well, in Europe, they usually worked uh, on the land uh, in either sharecropping or so forth and so on, but they never owned it.
1: Mm, wow.
2: Uh, and, uh, and they can be kicked off almost at any time.
1: And that's, it, that's no, it's, it's no coincidence that that's part of the American dream, right? It's owning a home, <coughs> having your own property, going yeah. in and doing whatever you're able. But even that is eroding, obviously, you know, with all the rules, and now you have taxes, so is it even technically yours? Can you even own? No, well, owned?
2: I always use the sample of, well, if you uh, own a property, and, and uh, if you rent a property, and you don't pay your rent, what happens to you? You're evicted. What if you own the property and don't pay your taxes? What happens to you, you're evicted. So really, what's the difference? You're renting the government tr- owns the property in the true sense of the term. Yeah. You're just renting it. And, and that has changed over the years. Uh, and, it, and it extended even into the, into the occupations of people for many, many years. Uh, if you couldn't work the land, if you didn't own the land, you went into some sort of a profession. You were a tanner or you were a baker or you were something which required that you get trained by, within a guild. Mm-hmm. And, and so you went to a master to learn that training and then in order to uh, com- complete that training and be recognized as a master yourself, you had to go to another master and that usually was four or five masters and always in a different town or even in a different country. But you always had to go to the government in order to get okay to do that yeah so it was a, a mix of of the guilds and the government and if you were an enemy of the state you couldn't even mm. practice or even learn a a, a a a skill
1: yeah i remember when i was i there was a stint there where i i was trying carpentry and i, I the guy who, who was teaching me i mean i just kind of hopped off the street, you know, I was just like, I want to learn carpentry. And the guy's like, well, you already have a skill. Like, you're going to have to start at the bottom. I was like, yeah, I don't care. I want to, you know, I thought I was going to build cabinets and furniture and it was going to be fun and whatnot. But I learned at some point that apparently in Germany, at least that's the example I got, in Germany, Like you have to spend lots of like time as an apprentice before you can just start doing what I started doing. You know, I was like sanding and whatever. And what that's like, Now you can't just jump in.
2: And the part of that process, uh, that traveling between the masters to learn these things was your journey. You became a journeyman.
1: Mm, Yeah, I remember that term.
2: That's still within the union vernacular today.
1: Yeah. Well, we have a a little bit over a minute here. I'm going to give Steve the last word here as far as American exceptionalism. Steve, take it away. Well, there's a lot. That we, I love putting him on the spot. There's a lot, well, there's a lot that one could
3: say. And I mean, in, in fairness to all the other 200 odd countries out there, every country has something, you know, exceptional, unique about it. And, and we certainly don't want to, do, to impugn the patriotism of, of, of other good people around the world. It's the most natural thing in the world, as is often observed. It's okay
1: to be patri- a patriot about right. wherever you are.
3: Right. But, there, and, and, you know, I, I guess for me, I have to end on a cautionary note. I hear people say a lot and it's usually in the context of militarism or in the context of wealth. They'll say America is the greatest country in the face of the earth. And what they mean by that is we're the most powerful, we're the most technologically advanced, and we're the most wealthy. And while all of those things are important and certainly have their place, the most important thing is that we remain the most free. Mm -hmm. And alongside that, if possible, The most virtuous because freedom as we were discussing off camera also depends crucially on virtue and on 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 civic virtue on the willing you know people disciplining themselves otherwise we don't qualify for freedom
1: and we could remain free if we adhere to these exceptional rules that were were established thank you thank you everyone for tuning in and have a blessed thanksgiving